All right, it ain't over till the fat guy preaches, right? It's always these pretty little kids and then me. Good grief. You got to fix that somehow. Uh, listen, we're going to take a break from Luke for today and the next couple of Sundays as we consider the incarnation of the Christ of God. It is a theme that is hoped for in the Old Testament among the saints. It is a fact that is glorified and exalted and preached in the New Testament and in the church today. That God became a man to die for his own on the cross, uniquely qualified as the virgin born, only begotten son of God. So that those of us whom he calls to himself might have our sins paid for, that we might be justified, and that atonement might belong to us, the price paid, the covenant ratified. Would you open God's precious holy word to Job 19? We'll be in verses 23 through 27. Merry Christmas from Uz. You know anybody who lives in Uz? Well, the only guy I know is dead. So if I get a Christmas card from that guy, I'll sit up and take notice. We're familiar with the story of Job, I think. The book itself, even by atheists and unbelievers, the way that it's written and the beauty of it in the Hebrew text is something that is admired by linguistic, linguistic scholars all around and has been for millennia. Now there are the Tuldot, the Tuldot in the uh, book of Genesis. It always starts out these are the generations of. There are a few of those in Genesis, which leads us to believe that they were because of the word itself. There was a record, a written record, of what happens after that all the way to the end of it until the next Tuladot starts with, and these are the generations of. So having said that, I'm sure Noah had a collection of that, preserved it. But that said, considering the canon of Scripture, it is believed by scholars, conservative scholars, that Job, excluding those, the Tuladot writings, that Job is the earliest of the written scriptures predating Moses, seeing and understanding historically that it seems that Job lived perhaps earlier than, than Abram, Abraham, certainly no later than him. And yet there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a rich theology, there's a rich soteriology, if you will, in the verses we're going to look at today that go back to maybe 2500, 2400 BC, somewhere along in there, hard to be exact. 
Job is a man, of course. It's interesting to me that the first writing, the first recognized writing from an author would be a, an account of human suffering that deals with the question, why do the righteous suffer? So God himself shows up on the scene at the end of the book and helps us to understand all of these things. And here's Job now. He's in a mess. He's lost everything. It's, it's hard to imagine. He, he, of course, you know, Satan challenged God more or less to have access to Job. God granted that access, do anything, just don't kill him. Job had this beautiful family, and apparently on each child's birthday, they had a grand feast. Job was the richest guy in his world in his day, so the richest guy in the world could probably really throw a birthday party, you know. Um, maybe some high wire acts and jugglers and people swallowing fire and all kinds of stuff, who knows. But they had a great time on each child's particular day, which to me would be the birthday, I guess. Until Satan is granted access. And in a short period of time, everything is destroyed. His children are destroyed. His wealth is destroyed. He loses everything except his wife, who later would say, why don't you just curse God and die? It's easy to see why Satan left her around, huh? But um, she could achieve what he wanted to achieve, I guess. I don't know. But he's lost everything. Extraordinary happiness, living in the Lord. Everything that a man could want in his day. Beautiful family, wealth, riches. And it's gone. Now he loses his health. His, his flesh, his, his skin is covered with, with boils, with sores that are filled with pus. And so he goes and the Bible pictures him as sitting on a, a dung heap. He's out there where ashes are burning, probably a garbage dump type place. But there were a lot of flies and flies would lay eggs on his stinking sores. And maggots would come forth from those eggs and they would eat his infection. Apparently making him feel better. I don't, I don't know about that myself. I'd just soon take an antibiotic. But he's having a time. And then he has these friends that come and say, it's happened to you because you're a bad guy. You should, you should repent. You're not good at all. So here's a man, Job, who has been at the pinnacle of life there, and he is at the lowest ebb of life here without dying yet. But in the depths of his pain and suffering, emotional suffering, physical suffering, spiritual suffering, social suffering, those guys that were supposed to be his friends... Sort of mocking him, you know, saying, I knew there was something wrong with you. This is happening because God knows that you need to repent. You know. 
He's hurting in every way imaginable. How could you feel worse than what Job must have felt? But in the depths of his suffering, his grandest thought is written here in these verses. We're going to look at them together with a view to how Job was looking forward to the day of the incarnation of Christ. When in the miracle of God, somehow, Genesis 3.15 would come true and the seed of woman would come forth. Shallow of, or shallow of Genesis 49.10 would be born. People who looked into the distance forward darkly into the future, they could only call him the seed of woman or they could only call him Shiloh. Or in the case of King David, the name. They knew enough about him though to know that he was coming someday. Job here has a divinely given spiritual forethought of Christmas and beyond. It's very hard to contain the glory of Christ as a believer in our thoughts just to Christmas. We cannot help in, in our study but see him before that as creator. In all of everything is our sustainer. And then finally the one who judges and brings all things to consummation and is the king of the kingdom. The king of glory. Job reflects something of that here in this passage of scripture. So I'm going to go on past and we're just going to break this down. So let's just break it down. First of all, I call it the Christmas card of faith. Would then that my words be written. Would that they were inscribed in a book with an iron pen and lead. Forever on the rock they should be inscribed. I appreciate when I receive those cards and I recognize that, that, that someone was discerning when picking out the card to reflect something of biblical truth. I, Pat picks out the cards for us. She's careful about that kind of thing. She is. We don't have Lifeway anymore. So most of these places are backing away from biblical things. But she's very careful to find something that speaks of faith and absolute truth as it's given in God's holy word. Job is no different. I want to write something. Listen, this guy's covered in flies and maggots and he don't feel good. 
He's lost everything and it's amazing that he is still alive. But in the depth of his suffering, I want to say something and I want to write it. And I want to write it with a quill, with a pen, and make an inscription that should last forever. So he, to me, he's going to write what I call his Christmas card. If it was another time of year, I may have another title for this sermon, you know, and it wouldn't be a Christmas card. But today it's a Christmas card. And his Christmas card is a testimony to the incarnation of the Christ of God. So here it is. For I know. That my kinsman redeemer is the living one. You know, my Hebrew didn't come through right on that. I don't know why. I'll figure it out. Anyway, it says, Golichai, Gol, kinsman redeemer. Goli, my kinsman redeemer. Chai, the living one. It's interesting that the concept of the kinsman redeemer was alive in the minds of saints even in the day of Job before the law of Moses ever came. The concept of the kinsman redeemer you probably know was such that someone close to you in the family had suffered loss and would have nothing unless the kinsman who had everything would join his existence to the sufferer's existence, to the impoverished one's existence, so that the poverty of the suffering one would become the poverty of the kinsman redeemer and the wealth of the kinsman redeemer would be joined to the suffering one. And there would be redemption. The story is beautiful, of course, in the book of Ruth, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. But this is before all of that. This is a man now who once had everything and once he could have been the kinsman redeemer, but he can't now. He knew at a time in his life when he could have been a kinsman redeemer, maybe he was for some or wasn't, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But now he understands abject poverty. Physical, emotional, spiritual, social poverty. Outcast in every way one could imagine. I need something and I'm going, I want to write about this. For I know That golly, my kinsman redeemer is the living one. He's the one who gives life. All of the wealth that I once had, that wasn't my source of life. 
Even the joy that I had with my family, my sons and my daughters, that was not the source of my life. The source of my life, my life before God, the life that God has given to me, that life comes from the living one who is my kinsman redeemer. Now here's a guy covered in sores, sitting in a garbage dump, covered in flies, mockingly, sarcastically condemned by those he thought were his friends with nothing left but a wife who wishes he would die. And his focus now with nothing is on the one who can restore everything. My kinsman, redeemer. <laughs> so many ways you could, the fountain of life, the living one, so many ways to translate the beautiful little Hebrew word there. He knows, he lives. In the early day of man's Time on the earth. Job is somehow granted the forethought into the future. He says, and at the last on the earth. And that fray, that, that we're, he, and he will go through all. He will endure everything. Before he ever came into the world, those who carried the promise of the Christ were constantly attacked. The forces of darkness sought to destroy the elect of God and thus wipe out the promise of this kinsman redeemer. Of course, they never succeeded. God would not permit it to happen. Job knew this. If he stood in our day, he could look back on the history of mankind. Think of all of the wars and the enemies of Israel in the Old Testament. And Israel wasn't always right. They weren't always good, but they were always gods. That's all that matters. God established a covenant with them. And God assumed the responsibility of keeping and maintaining and sustaining and fulfilling the covenant. And so we go through those endless genealogies until we come to the genealogy of Jesus. In my view, one that presents the legal father, Matthew, and the one that presents the real mother, Mary, Luke, no more genealogies after that. As a matter of fact, we just studied in Luke. Christ prophesied not one stone left on another. And so all of those carefully kept genealogies of the Israelites were destroyed by the Romans. So you couldn't know anymore. It has to stop. The promise of the Messiah, the carefully recorded genealogies that finally end 
with the one in the manger, son of man, son of David. God saw to it that you couldn't keep any more genealogies and stop with him. Stops with him. He has endured all of the hits that have come at him and his people before he was born, while he was born, as a child. The attempt to kill him, the divinely guided wise men who gave their counsel and enough gifts to let Joseph and Mary and Jesus go to Egypt and avoid the wrath of Herod until he was dead and then still his sons and the religious elite and he comes back we've studied it through Luke the kingdoms of the world even today the onslaught against Christ yet Job could say it doesn't matter they'll never stop him he will endure he will at last on this earth stand. The Christ of God, the principle, the promise, the reality of it will be validated. And he saw beyond his life. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know. In my mankind flesh. It means, it means I'm not going to be some creature that I don't know. I'm going to know. I know in my mankind flesh, and in the mankind flesh, he would speak of the glorified mankind flesh of the redeemed who are raised in glory. Not this old nasty flesh. But he says, it's as real to me as my existence in my mankind flesh. I will see Eloah, God. God, whom I will see for myself. I'll see him myself. I won't get a report of it. There won't be someone standing there in my place. I'll see it myself. I will be there myself. All of the all of the events of humankind that were yet future to Job. The Christ of God, the gospel of Christ, the truth of scripture. The calling out of, of the elect. The security of the saints. The existence of the kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom which becomes a real kingdom which is transferred at last as an eternal kingdom, I will see for myself. My eyes, poor old guy, crusty, 
flies around his eyes. Maybe some of his flesh had been eaten off. I don't know. It's just, I read about how, what sort of condition he probably was in and the terrible state that he was physically in. But he says this to those around him. My eyes will gaze upon, will gaze upon with discernment. I will know when I see him. I'll know it. And he won't be a stranger to me. He will be known to me. These guys are accusing. These other guys are misrepresenting God. Blasphemy. They are giving attributes, ascribing attributes to God that are not God's when it comes to his relationship with his intimate relationship with his own. And so he says to correct those around him, he's not a stranger to me. He's not a stranger now. He won't be a stranger then. And how my essential self my who I am some people some people translate it kidneys <laughs> and in my kidneys I'll know who he is some translate it bowels some translate it heart but the Hebrew word means the, the essential existence of who I am my life yearns for that within me. That my kinsman redeemer would take all of who he is and join it to the wasted, pathetic Utterly pitiful, impoverished, otherwise hopeless person who I am. And I'll stand with him. And he won't be a stranger to me. He will be my kinsman redeemer. The Christ of God, the incarnation of the word who became flesh. I will see him and I will gaze upon him and I won't be gazing on anybody else. He won't be a stranger to me. And right now, the greatest yearning in my heart is not to have my family back 
not to have my health back, my wealth back. You see, God now brings the great Job down to an unfathomable valley to make him realize that the only greatness that we can have is his greatness through his Christ that he joins to us by his great power. Kinsman, Redeemer, he is the fountain of life. He is the giver of life. Not just life, but eternal life. And this is what I long for. Life with him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. In the far distant day back from where we are now, Job, though he seemed ruined, knew Christ. And his great testimony was stronger than any accusation that these men could hurl at him, stronger than any tragedy he had suffered. And his great hope was in Christ. My existence yearns for him. Maybe you're here today and you came here without Christ. Maybe God has called you to himself just in this recent past and you have this day to come forward and just by coming forward acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior. If that's the case, I hope that you'll come and share that with me. Let me pray with you and, and counsel you in the word. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and God is leading you to come and be a part of this congregation. We'll take care of all the details of membership if that's what God wants in your life. You come as well. Father God in heaven, Lord, bless this invitation and use it for your glory as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing. Would you come?